Well, today, what? We are talking about parenting. We're talking about what God has to say. We're elephant in the family room. We're talking about what God has to say to children about their parents, what God has to say about parents about their children. And so we're glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us. And if you're joining us online, we thank you that you're with us as well. Our staff, a lot of our guys just got back from a trip to Dallas. Uh, we were there for a few days. We left last Sunday after services, got back on Thursday, and there were actually 15 of us. We took five residents, and so I appreciate those of you who are praying for us because that was a challenge just in itself, five residents. You never know what's going to happen, but it actually turned out pretty good. We had a good time, and we are, we're in this series about the family because we want to sharpen our skills on how to do family God's way. And so if you've missed the first two uh, services, the last two Sundays, you really miss it. We've been talking about the relationship between husband and wife, how God wants us to do that. So if you miss that, I encourage you to go check that out. And then again, today we're talking about the parent-child relationship, and we're glad you're here uh, for it. Uh, Pam and I have three grown children now, and uh, we're, we're very... Uh, fortunate and, and excited that all three of them uh, are, have become believers, and they all three married uh, spouses who are also believers. And then my two oldest who have children, two children each, they're raising my four so far grandchildren in a uh, Christian home, and we couldn't be more excited about that. And, and there's really no uh, guarantee that that will happen, but here's what I can say. Anything that I've done right as a parent is because I got that principle from Scripture. And anything that I've done wrong as a parent is because I did not follow what Scripture tells me to do as a parent. So, I mean, that, it just comes down to us keeping focused on what God has to say because he gives us the instructions that we need. And parenting is hard. It can be painful. It can be stressful. It can be expensive. Usually you're not appreciated. And that's just the way it is to be a parent. And, and parenting, it, it, even though you have nine months to get ready, you're sort of thrown into it. I mean, you, you get rooms ready and you get stuff ready but then all of a sudden, one day comes, and the next thing you know, you're out in the parking lot of the hospital trying to figure out a child seat that you've never done before. You know what I mean? I mean just, and, you're, and you're trying to get, and, and it's on, whether you're ready or not. And then as they get older, it, it actually doesn't get easier. It gets harder. And so then you're trying to, and then they get old enough to have relationships with other kids, and you're wondering if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I remember when we, when my kids were young, we lived just a few blocks from the church, and uh, we had a, a big fence yard, and uh, Zach befriended a neighborhood uh, boy, and, and they always hung out together just yelling and screaming. That's when kids played outside, you know, and just happening all the time. And we, at the time, we had a 98-pound American bulldog that outweighed both of them, and they basically, in their playing, it was like they were training this dog to run them down and tackle them because they'd be playing like keep away with the dog, which didn't work 
out real well for anybody else, but they loved it, and, and the neighborhood boy was kind of afraid of our dog, and, and so it kind of worked. So basically, they trained our dog, Oakley, to run people down and tackle them. I mean, that's, that was the game. And so, you know, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably not the greatest, but we thought it was okay until one day Pam was uh, at the sink, looked out the kitchen window into the backyard and saw our dog, Oakley, dragging our youngest daughter across the, the whole backyard by her hair. And then we realized, okay, game over. You know, we can't do that anymore. So, but, but here's the thing. As Zach was interacting with this, this boy, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Because I know that, that he's not from a Christian family. He's not a believer. And is this good or bad? And so I'm trying to, like, like a lot of parents do, we're trying to figure out, is this a good thing, bad thing? And so for us, I'm realizing, I think a lot of times our first instinct as a Christian parent may be, oh, no, that's not going to be good. But I, I think there's a lot of reasons that we need to think about that a little deeper. For example, I, I like this kid. And I knew this kid needed Jesus like everybody else needs Jesus. And so I tried to study their relationship you know, from afar to try to figure out who's the influencer and who's the influencee. You know, who's, who's, who is, is Zach just going to follow this person or not? And then once I figured that out and I was comfortable with that, then I tried to make sure that Zach understood, you know, not everybody believes in God and people view this differently and, and really tried to build him up to be able to defend his faith for whatever age level that he was. And, and so because I like this kid and I wanted him to know Jesus as well. So as parents, we, we work through all that. And to me, the big benefit of allowing our kids, for example, to have uh, friends who aren't believers is that it, if we coach them, it teaches them how to impact people for Christ. It teaches them how to stand up and, and impact other people for Christ. It teaches them a skill that they are going to need for the rest of their lives. It gives them the foundation for that. And if you're a parent and you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't really care about that at all. I just want to protect my child. Well, then you don't understand Christianity because that's not what Christianity is about, protecting ourselves. So, you know, we just need to, parenting, it's tough. We need to figure it out. And uh, I, I know one thing about kids is that they can be so secure in themselves sometimes in, in this way. I have two three-year-olds and two one-year-old grandkids. And my three-year-old grandkids will come up and, and you know, they'll be like, Granddad, watch me jump. And I'll be like, all right, jump. And then they'll jump and they'll, you know, and I'll, and it'll be like that high. I mean, their feet only left the ground like, like an inch. And then I'll be going, and then I find myself going, that's great. Great. And they go, yeah, I know. I know it's great. I'm great at this. And then their little sibling, their little brother and sister, then they'll want to jump too because the older ones are doing it. And they'll jump. And their feet don't even leave the ground at all. And then they want that. Yeah, what about that? And you're like, that's great too. You know, but really you're thinking about really not being able to jump off and actually leave the floor is not that great. <laughs> but, but you find yourself kind of caught up in it. And it's like they have all this security. They know they're great. They ha they're very secure in their athletic abilities at three and one year old is what I found out. 
You know, even if it may not be all that. But, you know, when they're 23, I don't expect any of my grandkids to come up. Granddad, watch me jump. Isn't that great? You know, that, they're, they're going to learn some humility, hopefully, along the way. And hopefully they'll learn that humility without losing their security. And that's what we have as a believer. Humility, the, the unique combination of humility and security in Christ. But thankfully, when, when we talk about parenthood, God has given us instruction. So what we're going to do is we're turning to Ephesians 6, verse 1. We just left off at the end of Ephesians chapter 5. And these are the instructions that we looked at last two weeks for marriage, and we're looking at this week for child-parent relationships, that Christian parents have been looking to for the last 2,000 years. And it served parents well, and we want to look at that today. So these instructions, first of all, for parenting. Verse 1 in Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And what I want to do is look at these two sets of instructions for children, for parents, and just break them down very simply, you know, what to do, how to do it, why to do it. What? What we do, how we do it, and why we do it. So first of all, what we do. And what we do for children, it's honor and obey. And this whole obedience thing comes from honor first. And notice, it's honor your parents. It's not trust your parents, not like your parents, not enjoy your parents. It's honor your parents. And this is key because this comes from the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, we can not only base our lives on, we can base entire civilizations on the Ten Commandments. And right there you have honor your father and your mother. And, and why not? Why is it not trust your parents? Enjoy, enjoy your parents. I don't know. Maybe it's because not every person has a parent who's trustworthy. But let's get into it. So how? How do we do it? How do we do it? Honor your father and mother. Honoring, and that's where obedience comes from, but we'll get to that in a minute. Honoring your father and mother is really showing them respect in word and action. That we're respectful of them. And this is for all of us. How many of us have parents? Raise your hand. Yeah. Should be all of us, you know, if if you're sitting there. But, yeah. This is a command to all of us. And by the way, I, I don't necessarily mean biological parents. We all have biological parents. I'm talking about who raised you. Nobody champions adoption like the Word of God champions adoption. Our relationship with God is based on this principle of adoption. I'm just saying we've all been raised by somebody, our parent, that we usually refer to as parents. And that, so how do we treat those people? We honor our parents by showing them respect, by showing them courtesy. And we need to do this our whole lives. Always. Every person 
must honor their parents, whether their parents deserve it or not. Honor. Kevin, you don't understand my parents. Honor them. But, but you don't get it. Honor them is what God is saying. Honor is a moral choice. It's not a feeling. Honor is an action that God has called us to. We honor our parents. And I know some of you have had terrible parents. I get that. And some of you have, have relationships with your parents that are broken. It's sideways. Maybe you haven't talked to your parents for a long time, or maybe you do once in a while because you have to, but you, you really you just don't chit-chat. And, and your relationship is so broken that there's nothing like that there. And, and for you, you as a believer, if you're a Christian, God is calling you to jumpstart that relationship or at least jumpstart the fact that your parents feel somehow honored by you. And so maybe if your relationship is broken, it, it, just, it just saying something like this, uh, hey, you know, uh, if, there, if there's, one, there's one thing that you taught me that I've always appreciated and fill in the blank, whatever that is, you know, maybe just to work hard or what, whatever it is, which is huge, by the way, but whatever it is. You know, there's one thing you've taught. Surely, as a believer, we can find something in our parents' interaction with us over the years that we've benefited from and use that and tell them that. Or, or you could say something like this. You know, everything I know about this one little area, I learned that from you. Thanks. That's a way of honoring your parents. That's a way to get that ball rolling if you don't have any connection with them or you don't have any honor left. And by the way, if you can't do that, if you're sitting here going, no, Kevin, I couldn't even do that. I couldn't even say, hey, I appreciate one thing that you've taught me. Well, then that's probably more of an issue about your heart than it is about their bad parenting. As believers, we honor our parents, because God told us to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that as adult children that we obey our parents. Honor is the overriding principle here. So we honor our parents. We don't have to obey them. We don't have to take their advice. We don't have to do things the way they want us to do. We don't have to do it the way they tell us to do. But we, we don't have to do that. But we do have to honor them with dignity respect, probably loyalty is wrapped up in there somehow. That's how we honor our parents. It's not optional for us. Then he says, actually before that, because he was pulling this principle from honor, he says, oh, children, obey your parents. Overriding principle, he turns to his honor. But what about the obeying? This is telling us that any child living at home should be obedient to their parents. God's calling all children to do this. As adults, we, we don't do it exactly that way. Three-year-olds and 30-year-olds relate to their parents differently. It's a temporary obedience. Hopefully, as our parents get us ready to be out on our own. But with the obedience, you just have to know, it really flows out of honor, and honor is the main issue. And so that, this is the trouble why we can't allow teenagers, for example, to do the, you know, sometimes, you know, it's your classical teen, they'll obey, 
but they do it with a terrible attitude. You know what I'm saying? Look at you guys. You don't know what I'm talking about. Come on, work with me here. You know, you've never seen a teenager with a bad attitude. Oh, oh, maybe a little too close to home. Sorry, that's the way you guys were. I get it now. Okay, yeah, we, we have this. You know, our parents tell us something, and then we do it because we know we have to do it, but we do it with that, oh, you got to be kidding me. We roll the eyes. We sigh. We do all these dramatic effects. We slam the door in the way. We stomp. You know, we do all this stuff. We, we do all the effects. Teenagers who are believers called not to do that because it's not mainly obedience. The main overriding principle is honor and flowing out of that is obedience. So when we see that in our teens, we need to call them out on that and, and show them what they're doing. And then it's obey in the Lord. I, th- I think it's worded that way specifically. Because as our children grow up and hopefully develop a relationship with Christ, what we're telling our children should never conflict with what the Bible tells them to be as believers. Right? As they become believers and they're following God's word, not just about how they relate to their parents, but everything in life, what we're telling them should not conflict with that because if it does and they get older and they're old enough to see that, God's telling them, obey God rather than man. But hopefully, as Christian parents, that's not going to happen. So, adult children, some of you will say, Gabby, you don't understand my relationship is broken because my parents are so controlling and manipulative and all that stuff. Right, I get it. You don't have to obey them. You do have to honor them. And that's with action. So figure out a way. That's what God's telling you to do. So that's the how. Honor, obey. And then the why. And the why is simply, why are children to honor and obey parents? Well, it's because this is right. Because God has made an order in the universe. There's a right and wrong in the universe. There's a moral order in the universe. And respecting parents is the basis for all of us as individuals to later on respect other authorities in our life. It's foundational, not just for families, for societies. That's, that's the why. First, God's order. And then second is God's promise. Did you catch that in verse 3? So that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now what was originally seen as a promise to Israel, because it was about the land, Paul now takes that same principle, brings it into the New Testament, our new covenant, and then he's saying, hey, this is a general principle. This is a truism. That when you obey your parents, that there's safety in that. Now, it's not a universal truth. It doesn't mean that it, God's overriding people's choices. And so people can endanger themselves or endanger other people. God's not saying that's not going to happen. He's just saying as a general rule, this is true. And then luckily, thankfully for us, Paul doesn't stop with just instructions to children and how they're to treat their the parents. But he also gives us as parents, instructions on how to raise our kids. And so that's what I want to look at next. It's the same thing, what we do, how we do it, why we do it. 
So instructions on parenting. And, and now we're in verse 4 where it says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the first thing that we notice there is, okay, we're talking about parents, but Paul says fathers. And again, this flows out of chapter 5 where, again, we have this principle of headship where, where Paul's saying, hey, dads, you take the lead on this. You step up and take the lead. You take the lead to make sure this is happening in your family. You take the lead to make sure that your children are honoring and obeying their mother. You take the lead to make sure that happens. That's what he's saying. We must lead in making that happen. Now, when he writes this in the first century, in ancient cultures, fathers had unbelievable power over kids, absolute authority, absolute power over their children, and sometimes even as their children got older. That was true in Roman culture, Greek culture, and also Jewish culture. I mean, it was always there. Fathers had just a lot of authority. And in a sense, it's almost like Paul is saying, whoa, 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 be careful how you use that absolute authority. But for us today, it's really flipped. For us today, our, our problem isn't typically that fathers have so much authority. It's usually fathers aren't expressing enough authority in children's life. And so here, like I say, the Bible offends every culture. In ancient cultures, like, hey, the way you've done it traditionally, that could be a little too harsh. And now it's, hey, the way you're doing it culturally today, you need to step up and up your game. That's basically what he's saying. He says, and here's the way he says it. He's telling them, ancient times, do not use that high level of authority in ways that breed resentment in your children. And then he's going to flesh that out. He says this, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Please understand what he's saying. This is not saying that you are to never make your children angry. Not saying that. Because if you're parenting, you will at times make your children angry, right? Right. It's going to happen. This is, do, yeah, you're going to parent in a way that they're going to get mad at you once in a while, you know, or, or maybe every week or maybe every day or whatever. That, what he's telling us is do not parent in such a way that creates this long-term anger and resentment that builds up in their life. That's what he means by that. Don't create a settled or long-term frustration or anger in their life. And then he uses this term, I think, that speaks to that. He says, bring them up. Bring them up. And we hear that, and to us it says, yeah, just raise them. But actually, this phrase has a word in it that's the same word that's used in the last chapter, completely different. And that is in Ephesians 5, 29, in the instructions on marriage, he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. That word, but nourishes it. We, we nourish our own bodies. That's the same word, bring them up. We nourish them up. 
Fathers nourish them up. We nourish, mainly we nourish, we bring them up by wanting what's best for them. For us as believers, what's always best for them, what we want most, is that we would nourish them up to know God and have a relationship with God. That's what we most want for them. It's our number one job. So then the trick is, how do we do that? If that's what we're to do, how do we make that happen? And we bring them up, we nourish them up with a balance of discipline and instruction. We, we nourish them up with a balance of discipline and instruction. And when you talk about discipline, that's the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to stand up and talk about how to discipline your children. We, we actually talk about this in parenting class, the exact how-tos. You know, how do you discipline? How many, how many were here two weeks ago for the Barnes and Minor comedy thing that we had on a Sunday night? Actually, so they're from, is it Washington? No, Seattle, yeah, Seattle, Washington, I think. And, uh, and then they're talking about how the Child Protection Services, CPS, has made it where it's like a crime to spank your kids. In most places in the United States, not a crime to spank your kids, but she's talking about how it is there. And how many of you remember the song? All right, let me, let me remind you how that goes. Okay. Well, your kid done done wrong, and I bet that you witnessed. You tried to be chill, but they're so naughty you must is. They've slipped right off the tracks. Now you're trying to get them back before you're cool, done run out on giving you suggestions. Nothing can protect but divine intervention. Reckon it's about your turn to teach something they'll learn. But you can't spank your kids no more, no more. It's like those kids aren't yours. No, right now you're like, Amy, what can we do? I'm gonna tell you, hang on. You can't send them off to bed without a bite to eat. Shave their head and eyebrows while they sleep. That is totally legal. They wake up in the morning and know that they're loved, 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 loved. Write your mommy loves you on their forehead with a black sharpie. Hem their pants an inch or three. Send them off to school and they'll know that they're loved, 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 loved. But you can't spank your kids no more, no more. It's like those kids aren't yours. You can't tell them that they're dying of a rare sweat gland disorder. We got a teenager. Move them to a closet, rent their room out to a border. Find their diary. Hey, tweet it. You can change your name to something really strange, like Snooky, JWoww, Saddam Hussein. You're well within your rights. CPS won't fight it, but you can't spank your kids no more, no more. It's like those kids aren't yours. Until they change their mind and see like me, they'll open up their lunch. It's organ meat. <laughs> When bite into a heart and they'll start to do their chores. So please don't, please don't, please don't. There's no need to graduate, cause money is short. 
this old, this old, this old college funds, not yours. It's amazing how many things are still legal to do to your kids, you know. But that's what we talk about in, paragraphs. I, in parenting class. I'm not going to get into the, to the weeds on all that. But that's what we talk about. We talk about, first of all, spanking. Is, is that okay or is that not okay? If it is okay, then how should it be done? How, you know, what are the rules for that? How can we know that we're always doing that correctly? And then as they transition out of that, then we become more creative, as, as we've heard about how we discipline our kids. It's good stuff because we all, we all put our minds together and we come up with some great creative ideas to deal with our teens. But that's parenting class. It's in the bulletin. I've been asked, when's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? That's, it's coming up. But here's the deal. A lot of times when it comes to discipline, this is what we mess up as parents. And we can mess up by over-disciplining. Probably more often we mess up by under-disciplining. We under-discipline, when, when it comes right down to it, a lot of times it's just because we, we actually deep down without even realizing it, we want our child's approval. So we under-discipline. Or we over-discipline because we want our kids to be perfect and, and so we, they've got to do just everything exactly right or it drives us nuts because some parents, they're... They experience shame if their child comes home with a bad grade or, or doesn't d- display the right manners in a certain position. And so it, it's, that's what drives them. But as Christians, we have an advantage because our identity is in Christ, not our kids. And so as Christians, we have this advantage in the, that we don't need our child's approval. We actually don't need we're not needy toward our kids. We give to our kids. We don't have to pull from them. We're the parents. Our needs are met in Christ, which makes us emotionally healthy to deal with our children and not be manipulated. Which it's just human nature for them to try to do. And so we can get that right. We missed the mark. Um, and, and basically, I'll just boil that down to we, we discipline, we actively discipline, we don't shirk discipline, we actively discipline in a way that promotes relationship, but it's not out of our neediness, it's out of wanting the best for them and following God's design. So that's the discipline, but the discipline has to be balanced with something else called instruction. And instruction, the how and that, that's the, that's the, the guiding, the counseling. That, that's where instruction, it's balancing truth and love in their lives. That's what we're doing. We do this at home, but also that's what children get at church. We live in a world today where even Christians say, oh, well, you know, church, you know, I don't want to go overboard on that. Do you realize church is the one place where the truth that you're teaching your kids about how the universe is and how God is, that's the place where your children are getting that backed up by another responsible adult that they know. 
Another adult in the world, because all of us as kids, at certain times, we think our parents are insane, right? Well, but then we go to church, and there's this other person that, that we, we respect going, no, this is the way God said, this is the way it's supposed to be. Don't miss that. For Pam and I, church was never an option. I mean, that's what we did. Pinkertons, we go to church. It's what we do as a family. There's no, do not leave that for a Sunday morning discussion. Do any of you do that? You're second hour, so I can't really tell. First hour, no way, they do it. I mean, they're here. I mean, doors open, 8.30, boom. But I think sometimes it's so easy. Hey, what do you feel like going away? What do you feel? And, and then we're missing this huge resource as parents where our kids are caught taught truth, and, by the way, taught to obey their parents, which is probably the number one topic in middle school. Yeah, just, they just get that over and over. Don't miss that. Don't give that up for sports or busyness or music lessons or anything else or recitals or anything. Don't give that up. What are you teaching your kids by everything we're doing that we're teaching them something? So if we're doing that other stuff on Sunday, what are we teaching our kids? We're teaching our kids all the things that should be more important to them in their life than going to church and hearing God's word. Don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Don't, don't do that for the sports. <laughs> the, it, the sports, it's a scam, I mean, it, all these parents, well, I got my kids, now we're traveling, we're doing this, we're doing this, so they could be good at sports, so why? So, so, well, they could go to college and get a scholarship. Well, those college scholarships that 99% of kids get, they could work a part-time job at McDonald's for 10 hours a week and be better off. What are we doing? Are we doing it? And so what if it was true, which it's not, we, we're giving that up for money? Don't fall into that. Uh, it's a hobby horse. I'll, I'll get off that. But, hey, it's our job to teach them who God is. As a matter of fact, our kids have a need to know what is morally grounding us. If we're not consistent in teaching that to our kids, it will frustrate them. It will bring resentment. They'll look at us like a faker, like a poser. They'll just be like, whoa, what is going We have to be able to communicate. Our kids have to know from us how we are morally grounding our life right and wrong. That doesn't mean that we always do right or we pretend that we always do right. Kids just need to know, where are you getting right and wrong? Are you just making the call? Because that's teaching me that now I get to make the call. Or are you getting that from somewhere else? they got to know that. That's what, like the Bible says, we should speak the truth in love. That's instruction. Speaking the truth in love. Around here, we say a little different. See, see, well, this is a test. Love first, lead second, but always do. Yeah, it was really very disappointing. So there again, I'm... Love first, lead, that's just the way we see it, say it. Speak the truth in love. 
Love first, lead second. That's the truth part. You got to do both. We can have too much instruction without enough discipline that will frustrate your kids. Because they'll just feel like it's just talk, 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 no action. We can have too much discipline without enough instruction. That will frustrate our kids. It's like I'm in trouble all the time. I don't even know why. It's a balance. So that's what we do. That's the how we do it. And then most importantly is why we do it. For why we do it, I actually want to go to another a verse that I love. It's in 3 John, verse 4, one chapter. So it's just verse 3 John, verse 4. And before I read it to you, remember, John is the longest living disciple after Christ, you know, after Christ died. He's the one that, that lived the longest. And he wrote the latest books you know, called John or Revelation. I mean, he wrote those. And then in John chapter 3, it's one of the last books he wrote. He's old. And he's sharing his heart. It's a very short letter. I think it's the shortest letter. And then here's what he says in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than this. Did you hear that? I have no greater joy than this. To hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in truth. And I know some of you think, well, Kevin, he's using children in a metaphorical way. You're exactly right. He's using children as a metaphor. He's basically, I have no greater joy than all the people that I've been able to impact or have some, some role in their coming to Christ. My children, metaphorically, no greater joy than know that they're walking, walking in the truth. But the metaphor stands, that's my point. Why? Because we want our children to do that. Just like my children, I would have joy in them doing it. I do that to you. That's the point. There's no greater joy that we have as believers than knowing that our children are walking in the truth, that they have a relationship with God. It's the most amazing thing. Why so much joy? Well, because it's good for them. We want them to know the goodness of God. We want them to understand the essence of God's message, which we call the gospel, which is, hey, even though I am more messed up than I ever realized, I also come to, come to know that God loves me more than I could have ever dreamed. The foundation of the gospel, God knows me even with my flaws, and he still loves me more than I can imagine. And when they respond to that message, they experience joy and humility with security because they don't need to be validated by every person on their Facebook account or every friend that's doing something. Their validation comes in Jesus. That's what God wants for us. To understand that, that God loves us anyway and wants us to have a better life. They flourish. To watch them flourish, our kids flourish in the joy of knowing God. It's good for them. It's good for us too. We get the joy. We get joy out of seeing their joy in Christ. We experience that. Pam and I experience no greater joy than knowing that Zach, Brianna, and Carissa are all walking with Christ. And then that they married people who are walking with Christ. And now 
two of our kids raising grandkids, that, and we know they want them to become believers. Now, there's no guarantee of that. I understand. And I have friends of mine who parented the same way I did, and their, you know, their kids aren't necessarily following God. Don't, we don't take it for granted. And, and if you're a parent, maybe you became, became a Christian a little later in life after mo- most of your parenting years were over, or maybe you did everything just like I did and just didn't turn out that way for one of your kids or who knows how many of your kids. Hey, first of all, I just want to tell you, there is still hope. If you planted in them knowledge of God, they still have that. They take that with them. And over and over we see Young adults and adults come back to what they learned as children, coming back to the truth. There is still hope in what you've given. Don't give up. Don't give up. God can still do something with the seeds that you planted. It's good for them. It's good for us. It's good for the whole world. We're salt and the light of the earth. You see, to pass our faith on to another generation, it's like we're passing the baton. And our children, they're who will be leading the church next. And the church is the hope of the world because the church protects God's message, the gospel. And that's what the world needs more than anything else. And they need to be equipped to be able to do that because it's coming. generation to generation I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth to know that my kids understand that there's a God in heaven that loves them wants a relationship with them, invites them in spite of their flaws. They don't have to pretend that they're perfect. God waits, invites, encourages, and loves. I want my kids to know that more than anything else. Let's stand for prayer. Father God, we thank you for these instructions. And Father, for us who are parents, we pray that you give us wisdom. Lord, that we would be able to discipline and instruct our kids in the right balance. Lord, that they would come to know you. And Father, that we don't, we want to be needy with our kids, that we could just pour out and give and give and give to them for their benefit. And Father, most of all, that they would come to know your love for them, that you loved them so much you allowed Jesus to come and die and and to shed his blood so that we can be forgiven and cleansed, our sins removed, and that we can walk joyously with you. God, thank you. Lord, help us pass this generation to generation to generation in Christ's name.